Welcome to the Monsters Fresh podcast, where we explore the evolution and role of women in horror, as well as familiar tropes of the genre through a feminist lens. Hi, I'm Clelia, one of your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Meg, the other host of the podcast. We are currently between seasons and we're using this opportunity to record some bonus episodes with some guests we've been looking forward to to speak with for a while. And today we're joined by Emily and Ruth from the Nottingham Horror Collective. Hi! Hey, guys. (laughs) Hiya. So nice to have you on. Uh, would you like to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sure. Uh, thank you so much for having us on. Um, I'm Emily. I'm Pleasure. the co-founders and the editorial director of the Nottingham Horror Collective. And I'm Ruth. I've very nearly introduced myself far too early. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, very keen. Um, we love it. <laughs> I'm the Nottingham Horror Collective designer. Um, yeah, do the pictures. That's what I usually say. So Ruth's pictures and words. Absolutely fantastic pictures and words, might we add. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, so we uh, we create um, beautifully illustrated zines that are dedicated to exploring and dissecting the horror genre. Um, So yeah, it's each issue is sort of full to the brim of original artwork. Writings, short stories, poems, that kind of thing, um, from horror-loving creatives from all over the world. It's not just Nottingham now. It started off as just Nottingham, but now it's... Yeah, no, you're going to have to change the name soon, aren't you? It's <laughs> yeah. going to be the, uh... I know, we were saying that, but then we were like, oh, but I kind of love that it's like Nottingham. I feel like it would be a little bit pretentious to drop the Nottingham. Yeah, it'd be like the horror the horror, the, the international horror collective. Um, I don't think we're there. <laughs> no, you got to stay true to your roots, Stephanie. Well, it's a pleasure to have you both on tonight. We're really excited uh, to have you on. It's really lovely. Um, and the film you picked for discussion is Barbarian mm-hmm. from 2022 yes. by writer-director Zach Greger. Um, so would you like to give the audience a synopsis? and tell us why you chose that film okay so uh the more i was thinking about it the more i was like i would say that barbarian is about the fear of men and Mm. i would say it's specifically three men so there's one man who is the apparent nice guy we all know him you know he still manages to violate every red red flag that you can imagine when finding yourself alone with a man that you don't know. Uh, the second man is uh, like an utter monster who is so ordinary that he operates his horrendous acts in plain sight. And then the third man is so devoid of any self-awareness that he doesn't even understand that he's a predator. Um, so the story starts with Georgina Campbell, who plays Tess, 
um, arriving at her Detroit Airbnb for a job interview in the city. But upon her arrival, she finds that the house has been double booked. Um, suspiciously, a man named Keith uh, is already in there and there's been a mix up with the booking or has there. Um, so could the titular barbarian be Keith, who is played by Bill Skarsgård, who is famously recently played Pennywise? Um, or is there someone else in the house? Um, but I think we were saying earlier, weren't we, Ruth, that it's best to go in blind. And But of course, we're phys- physically incapable of not talking about this film. So if you haven't seen it, I would say definitely switch us off and go and watch it and then come back to Ruth. <laughs> Oh yeah, we always say spoilers abound. That's it. Like yeah. if you've not seen it, <laughs> yeah, you know, but... it's your own fault. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been out a couple of years now. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've I had your chance. Quite... <laughs> There's a lot of opinions out there that would say that you don't really need to watch it at all. Oh I've yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of people that don't like this film, yeah. um, <laughs> and I'm I'm getting a feeling that Meg is one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Meg, I've been seeing your face falling on screen. You're like, yeah, okay, what do I have to say about this film? Oh, no. <laughs> It'd be an interesting one to get into. Well, actually, I, for one, I'm I'm really glad you chose this because I it forced me to rewatch it because I hadn't watched it since the first time I did. And, I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't particularly love it the first time I watched it, but actually revisiting it now... I saw a lot more in it that I didn't before. Um, so, you know, I, I yeah, I, I can see there's a lot more interesting things to discuss about it. So, so yeah, that was, um, yeah. you know, in, in, in that sense, yeah, good choice. <laughs> yes. We, like, immediately loved it, didn't we? I, yeah, my, my first watch, I, I thought it was meant to be a horror comedy, genuinely. Mm-hmm. Well, did, I, isn't Zach Craig, he's from a comedy background, isn't he? Yeah, and, I mean, you're walking into a house and Pennywise is in there. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what, else, what else are you gonna think that other than this is this is gonna be a bit of a romp and then it just, it kind of I don't even know what to describe it but not a romp I don't well, think <laughs> I was I think like the reason why I love it so much is like there's there's no predictability in it so there's nothing mm-hmm. run of the mill about it mm-hmm. you never know what's gonna happen next and I love that because. You know, we're we're people that have watched so many horror films, um, and I usually kind of ruin themselves for them, like <laughs> ruin them for us um, by like sort of predicting what happens next. Mm, this film's got perfect. You know, one. when you like recognize tropes, and you're like, oh yeah, I was immediately I was like, Bill Skarsgård's a weirdo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it gives but up that vibe anyway, some... doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very odd vibe. <laughs> I know, poor guy. It, it's giving Norman Bates, and he's yes. definitely yeah, yeah, big time, big time, yeah, yeah. Even in the, and that's funny because I think I didn't pick up on this the first time I watched it. You know, I didn't really pay attention to the structure of the film as much as I did the second time round, and. You know, that that psychoanalogy is perfect because really it is constructed in very much in the same way. So instantly I was like, oh, yeah, OK, I can, you know, I, can, I start seeing a lot more of the influences coming out the second time. Um, I almost felt bad that I was like, I can't believe like all this, you know, maybe I went into it because there was such this is how marketing can ruin a film, you know, you know, make it or destroy it. Either way, I think if you go into it with, you know, a lot of expectation, everybody was talking about a film when it came 
came out. And, you know, so I think I really bought into the hype and I'm such a hypocrite because I do that. I, I you know, I watch a film and I will literally oversell it to people. And then when they're disappointed with it, I'm like, oh, I can dare you. Like this film is a masterpiece. So definitely do the same thing there, which I regret. Um, I think to be fair, that's that's what happened with me is like I'd seen, you know, the, the trailer that they released in cinemas, which was so sparse. And I really liked that. Um, because, you know, quite often you see a trailer and it's like, well, I've seen film. Like, why am I paying to watch it? I know it's going to happen. And they didn't do that, but then there were all this hype around it. And so I think maybe when I I first watched it, I were a bit, I was just underwhelmed by it. Um, But I I agree, you know, about like the twists and stuff in it. It does something that I think is difficult. As you said, when there's so many films, there's so much horror cinema. And for a film to be able to surprise you and take you on that sort of journey where you don't really know what's going to happen next is is really, you know, to its credit. Um, But yeah, so I don't want to start it by saying, oh, I hated it and shit all over it because I didn't hate it. Um, but I just, yeah, I think I'm, I'm interested to have this conversation because quite often yeah. if I think I don't like a film and then someone really likes it and when they talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, it totally changes my mm. perception of it. So I'm very interested to hear what uh, everyone has to say about it. And I won't be a Debbie Downer. I won't be a little Debbie Downer <laughs> in the corner. I will be at some points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really interested in talking how the the film is. Um, well, at least the first act, right, is the, is the, is an exploration of all those yeah. red flags mm. um, that you know, as you know, as female audience, we would have recognised in watching the film. And you know, that first act going into it, you're like. You know, it's like one after the other. Yeah. It's just so interesting. Yeah. And there was a lot of criticism actually about, you know, about the Georgina Campbell character, which I think is really unfair because it's like, how are you, you know, as a as a woman, I feel, you know, you can't win. It's like, no matter how you react to the situation, no. you're always in the wrong. So mm. I w- wonder what you guys made up of that. Well, um, I was listening to an interview with Zach Greger and I was like reading up on it and he had basically... Um, it was meant to be that first like part of the film. I think it was supposed to be like a, a, a short, or he wrote the, mm. that script mm-hmm. and then didn't really know where to go with it. Which I think you can tell. Mm. Like it, it feels, feels like the most film. Yeah. yeah, it feels like it's the most a long short bit. film. Yeah. But he had like devised the script after reading this like self help book. It's called like The Gift of Fear. The Gift of Fear. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Survival signals that protect us from violence. And the author Gavin De Becker is um, a security specialist for governments. Mm. and like public figures I think he was like a security guy for like the OJ Simpson trial or something Mm. and it's about like uh sort of intuitively sensing danger but perhaps not associating the behavior with um that of like a typical attacker Mm. so it basically just gives tips and red flags to look out for so you can keep yourself safe and rationalize behaviors and it's essentially to help folks learn to recognize these various warning signs and precursors um so I think it was, yeah, it was going to be this short about this woman navigating all of these red flags and showcasing how we as women are really hypervigilant towards mm-hmm. danger. Um, but then I think he was like, but what if I kept going? And then there's a crazy <laughs> naked lady. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I, I get I get like the contentions around it, I think. And I think we've we've spoken about this, Ruth, haven't we, that. There was there was all of that tension built where where he's always like he's ask, always asking her questions that are leading like oh you you know basically asking her are you afraid of me like oh well, I wouldn't drink that I wouldn't like, drink that tea if I were you uh, I, I no, wouldn't trust me if I were you yeah it's like he's he's self 
editing too much yeah. and that's why I say it's kind of like Norman Bates especially when Very he's sister. like he doesn't open the bottle of wine until she's in the room so she can see that he's not like tampered with it mm. and he like says that to her he's like oh and by the way I totally understand that that's it. and then she apologizes mm. and it's like I recognize this behavior you're like kind of you don't know what to make of this guy and you don't want to piss him mm. off mm. So you're trying to be the yeah. nicest, like you're trying to be nice and like civil about it and sort of tiptoeing around. I think he's so unintentionally predatory in how he tries to be so nice, but then he comes off yeah. overbearing and he end up he ends up not respecting any of her boundaries. So, you know, by trying so hard to be to not be creepy, yeah. then he, you know, he is like and everybody's on edge. And as you said, you know, because he's pennywise, yeah. <laughs> you see yeah, him exactly. like, like he's definitely yeah. He's been typecast as Pennywise, basically, or like <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, apparently, yeah. Zach Craiger told him, like, told Bill um, to play him as normal and nice as he can be. And he was like, "Don't mm-hmm. be sinister, don't be brooding or dark or ominous. Like, mm. the more nice you can be, the more uncomfortable we'll be." Mm. And he was so yeah. right. <laughs> like, yeah. I that just yeah. the mere casting of someone can do that. As yeah. Well. Yeah. 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 It was a smart choice, I think. Absolutely, and I think that old first bit where you know when she turns up, I think what's so. I think particularly for women is so recognisable is when you just shit out of luck. So like she turns up to this house in this rundown neighbourhood that she's not familiar with. So then she's like, do I go in here in this house with this man or do I sleep in my car and somebody might attack me in my car? Do I keep driving? I can't keep driving. You know, like the and it's it's the way that it sort of builds and, and you can see um you can see at every turn all the ways that if it did go wrong, all the ways she'd be blamed. So, well, why did you go in house when there were a man you didn't know? Why did you book an Airbnb yeah. in this part of town? Why didn't you plan better? Why, you know, you can see, and I think that is something that I did. I don't want to say enjoy about it because that's the wrong word, but I was pleased mm. to see this sort of recognition of this is the way that women have to exist in the world on a daily basis. And like you said, then he's been like really nice, but it's like too nice. And you just sort of think, well, but then how does he, I suppose if you look at it from, um, from like his side, like what does he do? So there is that tension because mm. he's like, I don't want to be a creep because I'm not a creep. But now I know I sound like a creep because I'm saying I'm not one. And what would a creep say? <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. this this tension between two people. Um, and, and it is really uncomfortable, which, again, is mm. is to be able to, to do that and like really ratchet up that really uncomfortable, like bum clenching tension is um, is a skill. Not one I always yeah. enjoy because I am a bum clencher. <laughs> so I was like, Ooh. <laughs> and it's super uncomfortable. It. Yeah, it's where like chivalry like starts to make us feel like they're going to ask for something in return, mm. right? So like he's mm-hmm. he's like saying, "Oh, you've got a pretty name," and then he's insisting on doing mm. he's insisting on doing things for her. like he gets her bags in and then he helps her with the mm. the duvet and then. Um, I don't know it just I've I've been in a situation where it's like a man has been super duper lovely to me until I've rejected his further advance and you're always kind of like it's it's, it's like he can't really win though he can't win it is scary as a woman to be nice to a man Mm -hmm. just some sometimes Mm -hmm. sometimes it is just easier to to blanket but you can't 
if you literally but you can't exactly and it's actually something that's really hard to do it's something that's really hard to do so i think you know when people have criticized her character and the way Mm. that she reacts to it i'm like but you know we've all been in that situation where Mm. actually you know of course everything you know within you is screaming you know just just leave just you know just be cold just be an arsehole you know but actually it's just it's ingrained in us to you know to be she does some really smart stuff she like looks she looks at his wallet and takes a picture of his Mm. id like she doesn't Mm -hmm. drink the the tea that he's poured for her you know um there are these like murmurs of recognition Mm. like if i I, where i think if i was in that situation what would i do and i don't think i would have done anything different maybe i don't know one one of the things i do like about it and i know this is sort of going to lead to a bit of jumping about is the idea of the the sort of Oh, she's off again about violent capitalism. I feel like it's all I say. But like the violence that we mm-hmm. all endure under capitalism. So she's in a situation where she's obviously not got a lot of disposable income to go to a job interview where she's trying to improve mm-hmm. her life. So she's got to stay in mm-hmm. this rundown area because she can't afford anywhere else. So then yeah. so not only is she criticized for being a woman and behaving as she does, but it's also linked to like poverty and linked to like yeah. wealth and status and the fact that, well, yeah. you know, Absolutely. you should have should have stayed in an hotel and then you'd have been fine. Like people don't get attacked in hotels i mean if you Mm -hmm. go on tiktok for more than five minutes all you see are these videos about ways to put towels in locks so no one can get in you know i mean it's it's this idea as well uh, and i think as we see it's film progresses you know the the way that the erosion of that neighborhood has allowed violence and crime to perpetuate itself and that link to class and link to class violence you know no cheery She's cheery tonight, isn't she? <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. But yeah, yeah, I did I did really appreciate that about it. And I think setting it in Detroit were particularly interesting because obviously Detroit mm-hmm. has had such horrendous like financial mm-hmm. um hits of at last what well, decades. And so I think to set it there as a as a choice were were an interesting one and one that acknowledges, mm-hmm. you know, that this is rooted in reality, although the film is not reality in terms of where it progresses, but there are those points about it are very realistic and I think very relatable to people watching it. I'm just thinking, is, are we allowed to talk about um, Megan and Clelia's articles? Yeah, yeah, I think we should because I think both both of the, both of the articles that you that you both have submitted have have that as as a real um, you know real center point. About the you know the discussion about, around class and, and justice mm-hmm. around, especially when it comes to obviously like destroying the planet. Also, the crow being in in Detroit. Um, mm. uh, and both of your articles are spurred me on to think so much more about that that representation of yeah. like working class justice, mm. yeah. especially working class justice being being an, a whole other side of horror that yeah. um, mm. that we can talk about. Um, I, I completely agree with that as well, especially especially because there's there's a there's that part in Barbarian where we have a flashback to the old neighborhood mm. in the like 60s 70s time, and they're all um they're all complaining on the street saying oh this neighborhood's going downhill mm. it's going downhill we've all got to move out but then you're looking it's pristine it's beautiful all these yeah. all these gorgeous mm-hmm. cut lawns and there's nothing wrong with that neighborhood it's just mm. this societal idea of mm. of um, like degradation from from affluence and um, mm. but then yeah I suppose you see what um what things like mental illness and and things like that does to 
um a, a place like that like you know mm. this this horrible cellar dwelling man creature mm. um he stayed there he stayed stayed in that area it almost it almost really represents that that working class aspect of it you know it's sad yeah. it's, it's it's always a bleak it's always a bleak story when you look mm. at and look at that but obviously I think that's one of the best things about about Barbarian mm. as a film, mm. definitely. I, I, definitely I would agree. agree yeah, I do. I think mm. it. I think it's its strongest point is the way that it talks about that, and also about obviously that mm. first part when we're looking at how this woman's having to navigate this situation. But yeah, I mean that you know that this guy had never left, and sort of watched this neighbourhood just erode around him. Um, that's it, and of course, it, his house would have eroded. Yeah. Sort of. Um, above him he wouldn't have had the money to do it up or look after it yeah. so he ends up going mad ends up having these awful mm. horrible re- relations down in his dark dingy mm. basement and yeah it's so but true. it's a convoluted argument that he's making though because i think you know whilst i agree with everything you're saying but you know he's part of that of, of that rot really yeah. unfortunately you know mm. that is you know is exactly. the way you know that he's operating in that neighborhood whilst it is still you know nice and thing mm. and you know you, you know the the area is you know what the people are complaining about is that you know the crime rate in the area mm. and stuff like this which is very much part of so um you know, whilst he stays there and, you know, definitely represents that, you know, that mm. working class thing there, I think the fact that he's portrayed in the subterranean tunnel, you know, like like a rot, you know, yeah. that, uh, you know, that exists and, you know. It... Absolutely. You almost notice in that moment his face goes sort of, oh, you can almost see on his face, I'm, I'm glad, good, get, yeah. get away yeah, yeah. so that Leave I can do yes. what I want to do in peace. Exactly. Yeah, it's such a realistic um, portrayal as well of, you know, how people like that actually offend. They are neighbours and exactly. parents and they do live in plain sight and quite often are committing the crimes yeah. in plain sight. And so mm-hmm. although he ends up, and he does, I really agree with you clearly about him symbolising that rot and that decay of society, really. I mean, you know, he's, mm. he's, he's a monstrous character who's doing really awful things mm-hmm. and they're facilitated by the fact that the area around him is allowed to break down to that extent that he is on his own there that he can just act without worrying that anyone's going to find him out um yeah. yeah and yeah so i mean it i think that is a really brilliant aspect of it um i'm debating when to get into my criticism of it should we just do it and get it out of way <laughs> <laughs> come on so. get your soapbox out let's get go it out. come on clamber aboard um i think when i was think so when i was reading up on it and they were like you know one of the central themes of it is about trauma and i was thinking about it and i was like yeah but to me it's very much trauma women's trauma written by a man this film, I feel that it's yeah, very much absolutely. a man's interpretation of what it means to be a woman and experience these things. And I think that's totally symbolised in fact that the monster in this film is this person who through no fault of their own has been like systematically, you know, abused and oppressed. And, you know, it is, is the, the figure that we're supposed to to sort of fear, to me, when I were watching it, I were absolutely heartbroken for the mother yeah. as, as she's... T- I, I were absolutely devastated because I thought, what a horrible existence this person has had. This, you know, she, this life that she's been forced to lead, but we're supposed to see her as this 
as the villain, really, as one of the villains, as the the antagonist. And then yeah. the ending for her is so bleak and so awful. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was really surprised by ending because, mm. um, and spoilers, so pause it if you've not watched it. Um, but like the the fact that all right yeah we wanted Justin Long Justin Long will make his career on the fact that everybody wants him to die in every film he's in because he's awful <laughs> yeah he's really cornered that market he's oh, done a very good job Queen Justin he's, he just plays the asshole so well yeah so you know we and we all want to see the man who treats women like shit we all want to see him get murdered we all want to see him get his you know get get his comeuppance but I thought then for her to die as well, it was so cruel. It was just like such a cruel bleak yeah. end to this woman's life. And I think that's that's what I took away from it that I didn't like. If yeah. You, you know. I think it links, it links back to that idea of the monster not having any place in society, right? So you can mm-hmm. say at the end of the yeah. story, there is nowhere, you know, you know, there is nowhere for her to go, really. So I think that's kind of like the mercy killing at the end, you know, serves, yeah. you know, yeah. in that respect. But I think the film is trying... You know, trying to make the point that you know the monster is you know isn't you know isn't you know isn't no, the mother. I, the, right? the barbarian but is Frank. Yeah. It's Frank. Yeah. I think the yeah. barbarian is Frank. Like to me, the mother is like the most sympathetic character in the film. Like we have an essay in one of our issues, um, the Fool issue. It's by a filmmaker called Ariel, Ariel McLeese, and she talks about how she relates to the mother, and it's it's hilarious, but it's so so beautiful. Yeah. I, I remember when Ruth and I first read it, we were like nearly in tears, <laughs> um, because you know um, Ariel, as a mother herself, you know she draws these parallels that just just breaks your heart, and um, it is a joy to read. So I would definitely recommend reading it. But yeah, she when she boops his nose, and she's Honestly. just like. <laughs> It's so that's the thing and I know you're right I know you're right clearly and we've talked about this before and maybe my empathy for the monster is you know is well it's part of why you know we do a monstrous flesh isn't it like we don't want to turn away from it but I think I know what and we've said this before like the monster has to die at the end that's the way that the status quo is returned and I'm very anti that let the monster live Someone write mm, a film yeah, where the monster lives. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right, I suppose as well. And I and I do think there is compassion in how she, you know, in how she she is dispatched. I suppose mm. it is. It's not like a really yeah. brutal, violent ending. It is a bit of a mercy, but it's just like it just bum, it bums me yeah, out. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. Yeah, and it's not fair, especially given that the barbarian, the barbarian of the film, Frank, gets to you know to choose how he how yeah. he goes, and that's that's the real that's the real issue that I have with the film. It's like this guy mm. gets. No, you know there is but you know it's, it's it's you know a reflection of you know how things are as well you know right you know yeah. monsters you know are and you know they, there's no justice so it's yeah, you know, yeah. It's exactly. true in that fact. yeah i feel like there could have been more of a sense of justice with it might be might have been an adding of an extra trope onto the film but mm. they should have they should have done like a um a new a news report at the end to to give some sort of justice to, to the to the mother to say like oh there's the been there's been this you yeah, know, you know years of decades of sexual trauma and yeah. abuse and stuff. just yeah. just any anything to to show that you know it was acknowledged because mm. it kind of just fell flat at the end and that was I did it. enjoy that she's just the one accept it <laughs> I do enjoy that she's the one that gets the revenge on AJ yeah yes. like when AJ Definitely. has to drink the breast milk. Yes. That's his <laughs> that's his rape scene. <laughs> like Yeah, that's his rape scene. Yeah. That is his rape scene. Um 
Yeah, I love her. Feeling that violation finally, <laughs> but then, but then, uh-huh. even after that, you feel like he's going to have this redemption, and then, well, AJ to me, like he's he's so obnoxious. He's oblivious to his own behaviors. He doesn't self-edit the way that you know Keith does. Mm. Um, he's he he like he's like the opposite of of you know when Tess is is being hypervigilant to keep herself safe, he is not doing that. Like when Tess mm-hmm. goes down into the basement and finds a basement, she is literally like, nope. And oh, I think she, a lot of she us says, would she yeah. says, nope. Yeah, I think like that's literally <laughs> how most of us would react. But then when AJ goes down, because obviously he he's the owner of the Airbnb and he's trying to sell his Airbnb, right? Um, he just gets the tape measure out and he starts yeah. finds that like, snuff room finds oh the obvious God, snuff room. film room he's just measuring it just he's like, going, oh. ew, ew. and he's like googling you know how much more money he can get oh can he count this into his is it a cellar and... <laughs> what about yeah, the... that is a great yeah. moment of comedy relief i have to say that but he, he opens the door looks down into that into the stairway dark blackness and just goes <gasps> like you think he's, he's yeah, yeah. finally it's finally hit him this is this is a horror film and go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and just start measuring it yeah steps in. yeah what's Blood um, on the walls, crust <laughs> everywhere. Like, <laughs> I read that. Uh, I, re- I read that Zach um, Krager gets um, got, um, Jordan Peele to watch, um, you know, a, a yeah. cut of the a cut of the film <laughs> early on in the production, and he got loads of notes from him. And I think that really comes through. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I know he, he comes yeah, from he comes brilliant. from a humor background as well. But I think there's, you know, it, it is very much in the same vein as Get Out, and I did really appreciate that. Yeah, mm. I remember watching it at the cinema and. Everyone in the audience thought it was so funny that bit because it was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like <laughs> the difference from him going down into the basement test is just so insanely different. Different, yeah. And isn't that just so typical, right? Doesn't that just show? Yeah, how different they are. Absolutely, yeah. It does. It does really. I like that that she. You know, my. I mean, my response was. Mm, no, my exact response was no, no, absolutely not. No. I, I am not going into a. Um, a room like I'm not going in I don't like cellars anyway I'm not going anywhere I'm not going mm-hmm. in a tunnel underground <laughs> but yeah it is yeah. It, but again it, it does I like that that gen I suppose the the difference between how she sees it as a woman on her own in this house and how he sees it as the guy I own this house this is my yeah. you know so there's a there's a privilege there as well of this is my house yeah, and I'm yeah. gonna you know and and I think yeah th- to see him in that you know um like oubliette uh, when the mother's yeah. coming and he's just like screaming and you're like shut up fool what are you doing last thing yeah, you yeah. do if you scream shut up like, it's yeah, just like let God, me out sure. like his character like he's not the man that's gonna like jump out of a dark alley with a knife but no like he's that he's the persistent type right so he, that's mm. kind of realist he is like he doesn't take no for an answer mm. and if you try and make him feel the consequences of his actions like you're the bitch that's the kind of yeah. guy that aj is and i think it's really nice not, not nice not nice isn't the right word i think it's really interesting that we have all of these different these three di- very different types of men mm. um I feel like, like I've met all three of them. <laughs> yeah. I definitely oh, haven't met Frank. Oh. Um, <laughs> he's more of a, I would say he's more of a, like a Jeffrey Dahmer type. I feel like, I feel like I've met one at least. <laughs> you know, statistically. You must have. Yeah. Know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. AJ is this, this kind of like dude bro. 
He's like just mm-hmm. completely oblivious to his own behavior and is like blindly hurting women, you know. And when he goes into Frank's room, which I think is a really interesting scene, obviously, mm-hmm. we, the first time we meet Frank, he's in this like horrendous shrine of his own. But at no point the viewer, the viewer thinks that he's yeah. a victim, but Justin Long immediately thinks he's a victim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is so funny. That yeah. is very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think it's interesting that the. AJ, he wouldn't put himself in the same bracket as Frank because no. obviously, he, like, you know, when he realizes what he is, he's like, What the he fuck is wrong with you? I feel sorry for what him until that point. Yeah. Mm. Where's that come yeah. from? Yeah. And it's, but again, I think, you know, that is something else I read about it as well is that that is the message that the, they're all cut from, you know, the cut from same cloth and they are. Mm. And they're just on that continuum of male violence. So, you know, yeah. AJ would see that he's not as bad as Frank because he's not kidnapping women and killing them but the women mm-hmm. who he hurts are still hurt you know and he's still a predator yeah. but still he's the just same trauma. it's the same yeah it's same trauma and he's still the is the same sort of predator but because he's not it's that thing about violence explicit violence so it's you know men mm-hmm. like that can can sort of justify their actions because they go well i'm not being violent even though they know that yeah. the implicit threat of violence Women approach, you know, somebody like that who's coming at you relentlessly, being just persistent as there was always a persistent, you know, but you know that underneath that is the potential that he could turn at any minute. And so he's he's thriving. And that's that is something that I think you see more. I talk about it more. I like this film. This is I knew this was going to happen. (laughs) Yes, it happened. That was our that was our plan all along. (laughs) Me and Emily are very, very good at doing that. I think. Yeah. (laughs) But I think what's interesting is that it's and it's that thing about, you know, how um all men benefit from male violence because and and so AJ benefits from men like Frank existing because mm-hmm. women all know yes. that men like Frank exist. So the threat of violence is there. So he don't have to be violent because women are already primed to fear that he's going to be violent. So he's he's not even mm-hmm. having to. So he's he's getting the result, but he's not even having to get his hands dirty, as you could say, because he he's he's benefiting from people like Frank. And I think to see that sort of played out as well is interesting because it's seen as like two extremes you could you know but it's not it's all the same mm-hmm. it's the same and thing. the same way that um you could argue that keith also benefits from you know from that yeah. system as well because then it means that he can put the you know the the minimum just by presenting himself as a nice guy Absolutely. is enough because you know there are predators out there yeah. and they are you know men who will be violent or men who will you know mm. coerce you into into other things so therefore it's you know again it's just it all plays in the same you know, the same realm. And it's really, mm. yeah, I, I guess in, in that, I'm not sure if it was all that intentional in the writing because, mm. you know, as it, I think it was more kind of like a stream of consciousness yeah. sort of writing oh, the, you know, this film. But the message is, you know, it's, it's still, I think, you know, the things that you can come out, you, that, that come out of it are, you know, really interesting, mm. even, even in that way. Yeah, so. there's that thread in there. Yes, it goes off piece, I think, a lot of the times, but, um, but yeah. And I, I do agree with what a lot of people said have said about the, the ending as well. Mm-hmm. Like that, it's just it's so sad. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's really sad. sad. And it's almost like so. AJ almost had his rede- redemption up, right? Mm. Almost. <laughs> and then he throws her off the tower. <laughs> and then he like he throws Tess under the bus. Wow! Off the water tower. 
Yeah, what have you, baby? Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's cold. And then when he realizes she's still alive, he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, You slipped. Uh, I didn't push (laughs) you. Like, what? I hate him so much. But that's a great, I mean, I I, I do find that part of the writing really interesting, actually, in his character, because, you know, you're right. Like, and he's, you know, really representative of those kind of, you know, that kind of men, you know, who Mm. will be like, you know, oh, I don't mean to be like this, you know. (laughs) It's like, and when, you know, he's faced with the consequences of his actions, it's just, uh, he's like, oh, I just, you know, I was just, you know, it, it's not my fault. It's just, you know, it's all um, yeah. circumstantial, you know. I don't, you know, I'm not I'm not really that person. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, and that's the thing, yeah, that they thrive in that darkness, that, like, they, they thrive in the fact that there's no there's no witness. And so in that moment, we are the witness to that, that that's what mm-hmm. he did, even though after, if he'd survived it, it'd have been like, oh, she, we had no choice, and he'd totally reframe this narrative that didn't include the fact that he threw a woman off a wall a tower to save his own <laughs> pathetic skin like you know <laughs> uh, and justin long he like he like gets his eyes ripped out or taken out like yeah. in the last films it, that he's yeah, in right yeah, in i G- mean G- jeepers, creepers. Yeah, jeepers creepers yeah or um yeah i suppose in tusk he has other things oh god tusk. let's not talk yeah. about tusk <laughs> Mm. <laughs> the Justin you know what we were going to do universe. a screening of that but then we we, we didn't in the end we were going to do a, possibly one of my favourite films really ah, really yeah. I liked Tusk I did enjoy Tusk I mean I thought it, it was were, it were batshit yeah but brilliant yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think it aged so well and Justin Long he just is the perfect asshole the <laughs> yeah. perfect one yeah. truly, yeah. truly a little bit too convincing <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah a little bit <laughs> yeah, almost. It's like yeah. you're just playing yourself. I think, I think he's actually quite a big, um, like a, a like quite quite a nerd in you know very very into pop culture and, and horror and yeah. things like that. So yeah. It's it's interesting as well that as we see more and more stuff coming out about, you know, men in power and and the way that, you know, the this well, you hope that like the chickens are coming home to roost a little bit. Like it's it's nice to see a film that I suppose tackles that although I do think that me that we've done what me and Clelia often do, which is like when we talk about 80s slashes and we're talking about <laughs> this trauma cycle and everything else and everyone's like, they didn't write that. That's you. That's your project. You're projecting this. Reading that in it. You know, we're talking yeah, about when we talked about sleepaway camp, but we're like intergenerational trauma and all this stuff. And everyone's like, no, they did not write that. Maybe, I mean, to, to an extent, you never know, you know, there's always that sort of um, element of maybe they might have heard a story from someone yeah. or, or, you know, that kind of inspiration. I just I just really wanted to ask, ask you all a question. Mm. How do we how do we feel about the fact that the the mum was played by a man? Well, mm. not not very. I saw that when I was researching it, and it just sort of reinforced my. Dis- oh, I did not yeah. know that. You see, yeah, that, oh, okay, yeah. that, that, yeah. that is yeah, news to me. Yeah, so, I had no idea. Yeah, so I, I can't remember the actor's name now, but um, yeah, it's quite a convincing, very large you know, um, sort of booming character. So mm. is able to turn into someone like that but then 
he is depicting this woman and I, I almost feel like it's a it, it really fits into that film because it really feels like it is just a quite exploitative yeah overall yes mm, whilst also not even depicting you know being depicted by by a woman yeah I, I think it's a film that is very proud of itself in what it thinks it's done in terms of you Absolutely. know its virtues representation and yeah but yeah. then it does stuff like that and and I think mm. even when I first saw you know the mother character and the way that she's so stereotypically it's it's like what's the worst sort of you know like the way that that so she's she's sort of ageless but you can tell she's supposed to be older and she's mm. and but you know the way that her body is presented this way that it's it's a very um like it's hag exploitation it's just hag exploitation yeah. yeah. it's it's absolutely yeah. hag exploitation 100%. but but without even but obviously without even having the the decency to use a hag <laughs> you know you know what mm-hmm. i mean in a yeah, way at least at exactly. least in something like whatever happened to baby jane or something X. like that oh, it's giving yes. women an opportunity to play a role Whereas in this, you sort of go in, oh, look at this disgusting, horrible hag of a woman. Exactly. Depicting her so, so hideous. Yeah. I think yes. there, was a, there was an interview with Zach Greger and he's like, so, um, I think it was with The Evolution of Horror. And he asked him about this. He was like, yeah, there's been some contention around sort of, you know, this this problematic trope, trope of this like older naked woman mm. being portrayed as like monstrous or grotesque. And it also appears in Ty West's X as well, doesn't it? You know, well, yes. But, um, <laughs> and he says, "What does he say?" He says something. Um, um, this is not verbatim, but he um, he said she's a product of like decades of sexual predation. I think he said the physical physical manifestation of decades of sexual trauma, and we needed someone exactly like that to get revenge on AJ. That's what he. That's what he said. That's it, yeah. Like not verbatim, but I think that's essentially what he said. Which is, yeah. Is it, it, it what? This is the problem I have with the with this storyline. I have to say because mm-hmm. it, you know, if you want to use that storyline of incest and you know and trauma and also the mask yeah. on mask, by the way, because <laughs> from the nineteen eighties yeah. to twenty twenty three, you know, there's no way there would be that much. Um, yeah, no uh, degeneration, way. Uh, like you know. scientifically, it's the biggest plot hole. <laughs> Yeah. It's absolutely exactly. Yeah, it, just, yeah. it, shows, yeah. it just shows what the what, what the exactly. Filmmakers so you know to exactly to, to produce that soup that that you know that human that lives in subterranean tunnel and yet has that superhuman yeah. strength. I know it's you know it's for the story. You know it, it's fine, but it's but it's kind of like you can't be both. You, you can't mm-hmm. you you can't use this story to you know to portray that trauma and and tell us you know oh this is the you know the really deep message of the film yeah. and then use something that is you know a technique that is so exploitative. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that as a storyline as well is so um It's really B movie, isn't it's it? Be, it's, it's, very... it's such yeah, it's such a tired I thought, trope. I thought it was a B movie. Yeah. Well, I, I just think as a as a trope, the idea that some you know, some woman has been this, you know, poor unfortunate victim of incest and violence at the hands of a wicked father is can be such a powerful message when it's done sensitively, but I don't think in this film it's done sensitively. I think it's done because yeah. it's it's a trope that satisfied his end for what he was trying yeah. to say. Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, even that's quite a self-serving response to be like, well, you know, this is why she looks like this because she's so traumatised. And it's like, have some fucking sympathy then. She's not presented yeah. with, any, with any sympathy or empathy or compassion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, like, the, she's, to me... 
it, she just feels like... So I, I saw the thing where it was going to be a shot and he'd written this shot and then he was like, oh, no, let me just write a twist and see where it goes. And the fact that his mind mm. went to subterranean monster dweller who's, you know, a, a victim of decades of incest. Yeah. And mm. it, to me, it feels like, like it were a plot point designed to be shocking as to, to build this short film into a, a, yeah. a, a feature, you know. And maybe I'm being harsh, but... If you if you asked a fourteen year old boy what the what the ugliest boobs are, yeah, yeah, abs- yeah. absolutely, yeah, exactly. absolutely. That's, that's, absolutely, that's what they did. <laughs> yeah, it's like laughable yeah. to a point, isn't it? It's, it's laughable yeah. because yeah, it, really it is. is. It's so stereotypically like, what's <laughs> the worst body? We're going to have a naked woman, but we want her to be a, we want her to be disgusting. We want her to be a figure of disgust. What's played the worst body yeah. played by a man? What's the worst body yeah. we could create? that we could show you know you can see the sort of reveling in that a little bit in like designing Mm. this woman to be this you know freak essentially is what he's saying this absolute genetic freak um yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah that were another thing i'm sorry to announce we've done i'm sorry to announce we've done a 360 and now meg is back to hating the bonkers and it's really entertaining you know it is, I, I, watching it a second time i was like it's you know it is it is so bonkers and you you know you don't expect any of the twist and you know uh, you know on the on a surface level i think i think it's, it's a super inter- um, you know entertaining film and there are a lot of you know a lot of messages that are really interesting to look into in the film yeah. i think a lot of them are incidental but you know you know either way i think it's, it makes for a really interesting conversation so you know great yeah. pick still yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, I, it's I'm funny. not the arbiter, so people can like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're not we're not gatekeepers here. You can like what you like. I feel like so many film filmmakers, you know, you hear hear them hear them talk about the films and the real meaning behind them and things like that. I don't think I don't think a director or a or a writer or anyone really has their true meaning of of their film. Mm. I think we we have looked at barbarian in a way that the filmmakers would have never seen mm-hmm. us yeah. you know because they are just so oblivious to the way that yeah. the way that that could be perceived mm. or it was all just really good marketing maybe <laughs> i will i will give um i will give him credit though uh apparently there was a bit in that first part of the film where he was going to have tesco and take a shower but then he spoke to some of the women that were on set and they were like, oh, see, exactly. there is absolutely yeah. no way that she would have had a show. No <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, okay, like, you know, noted. Yeah, and then he that would it. be an interesting thing to do. And everyone is like, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also, yeah. like, I don't want to watch people taking showers. What a boring yeah. thing. Put something interesting <laughs> in. Yeah, Unless yeah. there's like, you know, Freddy Krueger coming up out at Drain or whatever. Like, it's not a very interesting. <laughs> Oh, look, it's just somebody in shower. Like, it's not, it's not very, <laughs> you know. But, yeah. yeah. Well, do we have any final thoughts on Barbarian before I take you into Folklore Corner, children? <laughs> well, there was one thing that I wanted to... If you liked Barbarian, and you might think the way that I do, I 
my favorite book of all time and Ruth will tell you that I'll try and uh sort of crowbar it into any conversation oh yeah um <laughs> it's uh House of Leaves by Mark, Mark Z. Danielowski and it's in the simplest of possible terms it's it's about a house that's larger on the inside than it is on the outside um and there's this like 6.5 minute hallway that sort of grows into this colossal labyrinth it's an amazing book um but so as soon as I saw the basement and that sort of vast expanse of space between the house, I was like, yeah, this is my shit. <laughs> like, this is what creeps me <laughs> out, like liminal spaces. So I think, yeah, I would I would just say if you like that kind of stuff, you will you will enjoy that part of of uh, Barbarian. And I guess there's also some there's some really cool um, video essays that I've uh, watched. Uh, so there's one on youtube by a guy called ryan hollinger and then another one by the channel uh cool channel dread tube and they talk about um barbarian in depth and it's really interesting so if you're interested i would say oh and also the evolution of horror podcast the interview with zach gregor i would say definitely give that a listen as well amazing i'm excited for folklore corner <laughs> yes well we need, we need like a some some like mandolin playing or banjo <laughs> <laughs> brought your brought your banjo yeah <laughs> yeah well this week i will think in what theme will it be this week because monster nightmare woman doesn't really lend itself readily to <laughs> well it does but you know i'm um, surprised with that yeah that no what i went for this week is uh folklore around creatures that live in your home i thought that would be oh yes, yes an interesting area so i hope nobody was planning on sleeping after that <laughs> but that's, that's totally fine yeah go for it so much like the mother uh, these beings may live out of sight but emerge to play tricks or sometimes do even more sinister deeds so um We'll start in the UK, where we have a number of these creatures. One from Scottish folklore is the brownie, uh, and these are described as ugly squat beings dressed in rags who come out at night and do tasks, which sounds like a pretty miserable existence to me. People think you're ugly and you dress like shit and you come out and do the jobs for them. Uh, But that's what they do. Sounds like my life, man. (laughs) (laughs) Me, Just me turning up to work. That's what I look like. (laughs) Um, But the... They're, they're very easily offended, also like me, um, and will leave if they do not feel appreciated. Again, am I a brownie? I think what we, we realise here <laughs> is that... You might be. <laughs> You're outing yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, this isn't a therapy session, mate. Come on. <laughs> uh, but, so they'll leave if they don't feel appreciated or they will turn malicious like another household creature, the boggart. So there's a rich history. They've all got great names. <laughs> brilliant, aren't they? When I was reading it, I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. So there's a rich history of boggart folklore, particularly in Northern England. Uh, so there's two types and there's one that lives in like marshes and fields and the other one that lives in houses. And they're also known as bugbears, bugaboos and boogeymen. This is where we get the term boogeymen or bogeymen oh. from. So also ugly, horrible squat things. Uh, They are always malevolent, unlike the brownie, who can be nice. And they'll follow the family of the home wherever they flee. So you can never escape from a boggart. Um, So they like to cause mischief, like turning milk sour, and will also make dogs go lame, which I thought was particularly cruel to the poor dogs. Uh, and they what will the climb. <laughs> I know, oh. little bastards, these little bastards. So, <laughs> what they do as well, which is particularly disgusting, is they climb into bed with people at night and put the clammy hands on the faces. 
Oh, repulsive. That's so specific and weird. Yeah, it's so specific and strange and invasive. Just clammy hands on your face. I feel like whoever thought about that has like a weird clammy hand phobia. Yeah. Clammy hand phobia, yeah. Or fetish. And they're all, oh, fetish. Maybe they like it. Yeah. Maybe there's a bug. I don't want to know, people. Anyone listening, if you've got a bog at fetish, we're not kink shaming. But if you have got a bog at fetish, please don't contact me about it. Um, (laughs) They will also pull pull the bedclothes off you and pull your ears. Um, To keep a boggart away, you should hang a horseshoe over your door or, and also leave a pile of salt outside your bedroom. So the big slugs, I think, basically. I already do well, that anyway. They, they sound like um, like <laughs> my toddler nephew who yes. holds my brother's ears in his sleep and puts his clammy hands on his face. So I think I'm... Yeah. just describing a, a, a children, a, a basically. Bogger. I think he's a bogger. You know, I'll have to tell my yeah. brother to put some salt outside his door. Yeah, yeah and hang a harsh show. Um, aren't boggarts in um, Harry Potter? Yes, I believe um, J.K. Rowling did rip off the the boggart yes. for her own sounds, games. Sounds like something and probably somehow made it xenophobic. Yeah, what what a strange thing for such an upstanding moral character to have done. Please read the sarcasm, everyone, in my voice at that point. This is not a pro J.K. Rowling podcast. No, nope. Fuck J.K. Rowling. Oh, yeah. Sorry for bringing her up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in Russian and Slavic folklore, we have the, and please forgive everyone, my pronunciation, I do my best, but being from Barnsley, it has its challenges. Uh, we have the Domovoy, and these are linked to ancestor worship, so they're seen as the personification of kinship, which I thought was very nice, and a way to honour one's ancestors. So they live near the oven, are under the doorstep or the hearth, and never leave the home, again, much like me. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of similarities to myself and these these creatures. Um, they protect family values and tradition and guard the residents of the home, especially children and animals. Uh, but if a domovoy is angered by wrongdoing or bad behaviour, they'll leave the home and leave its residents open to misfortune and illness. So to keep them happy, you need to give offerings of food and gifts and maybe, if you've done something to make them particularly angry, leave them the blood of a sacrificed animal. So... There's that. Oh, Protect that. your that's pets, so everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's very complicated. I mean, I don't know how you know if it's unhappy. I don't know. Maybe I don't know how they alert you. It didn't I mean, Probably they're quite vocal out. about it. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it, I don't know, maybe it starts writing poetry and looking out the window yeah. wistfully. I don't know. <laughs> Leaving you, pushing notes under your door mm-hmm. yeah. you know, at night. You wake it. Things like that. Terrible roommate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So now we're moving to Mexico and the American Southwest, where there is the duende again. Apologies. Uh, And these these are said to live in the walls of people's homes. Mm. See that creeps me out. I think. Yes. Things inside walls. As as a Lovecraft Mm. fan. As you yeah, as a love, as a love <laughs> things in walls don't fuck with those. Yeah, I read too many of the stories. I remember reading a book by oh god, what? Are you, oh, what a terrible story this is. It was called like Kiss the Girls. I don't know if it was like a James Patterson novel or something. It was no, it was James Patterson. I've made that up. I never know anyone's name, but I think it was that one. And he, it, it was about this guy who used to like live in walls of people's homes for weeks, stalking them, and then like kidnapping 
the young teenage woman in the house or whatever. It was very sinister. I've what? never got over it. So what I was don't... that film about the... Oh, I always remember it. The boy. No, no, it's, oh, it's like that's it's got where the police the police ring and they're like the call is coming from inside the house. What is what is that? Oh, the baby, like the baby, the babysitter, yeah, yeah, and the um... <gasps> a stranger Ooh. calls. Is it a stranger? A stranger, stranger calls, calls, yeah, yeah and he's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. no, that's yeah, I hate that, I hate that so <laughs> <Yeah>. much. <laughs> well, this this little creature may live in the walls of your home, and it's said that they especially enjoy, like to live in the walls, uh, the bedroom walls of children's bedrooms, and will emerge at night. So they attempt to cut the toenails of unkempt children, but they're very clumsy oh. and so often cut a toe off by mistake. Um, and they will also steal from young children and have been known to barter with mothers to take children and eat them. And they're said to appear at night when children are playing with a ball, watch them and later confront them. So when I were reading this, what I really loved is that obviously a load of mothers got to a point where they were like, you dirty pig, cut your toenails, stop bouncing that ball against the wall and go to bed. Oh, this monster's going to get you. It's just I was going to say, it sounds, it's, at first it sounded quite convenient. Like, oh, yeah. it cuts yeah, my child's yeah, toenails exactly. for me. Yeah, you don't have to do it. <laughs> so, because it's <laughs> yeah, over don't, have to, they don't have to cut their toenails if they don't have any toes. <laughs> yeah, that's you know. So, but also so specific for it to be a toenail. I thought that were just really funny. I could just imagine these like really, really just pissed yeah. off mums mm. being like, "Look." Cut your toenails. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Duende is going to get you. And you're like, oh, shit, I best cut you my know toenails. What they should have done, like, a, instead, instead of that, should have done, like, a tooth fairy, but for your toenails. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Wait, is that Cut Put, your, that put your trimmings <laughs> under your pillow. How much do you get? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's now. creepy enough uh, to put teeth under your pillow, so. <laughs> Two <laughs> clip, toenail <laughs> clippings. I mean, yeah. putting a tooth under your pillow is basically witchcraft. Like, <laughs> of course, we teach them young. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, they, you know, we say all these things are so demonic. We shouldn't be, you know, exposing Satan to children. But then they tell them there's two fairies. fairies. Like, there's a tiny little yeah. woman that comes in. It comes in. No, she doesn't steal them. She pays for them. Yes, yeah, she pays you. She pays you. This is food. a transactional relationship. Like. <laughs> Yeah, it's and what's she doing with all these teeth? Why do you not think it's weird that this small woman wants to collect the bones of children? A few years ago, I found um, I found my mum kept actually all the teeth in one box, and I found them a few years ago, and I was just like, "Oh my god, it's just so fucking creepy to find a box with your teeth in it." It's like I hope these are mine. (laughs) So so you guys have explaining to do. My mum did that. Oh my god! I think they're still in a in a pot somewhere. Uh, oh, oh, absolutely! Oh, you know, teeth teeth freak me out. Like when any of my nieces and nephews have had like wobbly teeth, and they come near me and they wobble it, and I get them. Like, I can't. Yeah. It freaks me out. I can't stand it. So, like, idea of finding a jar of human teeth. Like, oh, oh, yeah. No. Oh goodness me! Goodness me! Drive me <laughs> Move it. Let's move on. Um, so I've just got two two left. Uh, in Japanese folklore, is the Zashiki Warashi, who is a mischievous spirit loved by everyone, um, who takes a vague childlike shape with a red face. And these spirits are only seen by the residents of the homes they inhabit. And it's said that a house with one of these spirits is bound to be prosperous and fortunate, whereas a house without one will fall into decline and ruin. So these spirits are particularly fond of children and enjoy games and nursery rhymes. So to keep them happy, you should leave them sweets and toys and also leave them comfy beds and food to eat. 
So again, I mean, I'm I can it's totally like get a behind this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could get behind that. But what happens if you don't leave them sweets and it can't be bad? Well, then they will leave, and you will fall into decline oh. and ruin. Oh, right. <laughs> Unfortunately, so, that's fair trade. So. That is so manipulative. <laughs> First, I was like, "Oh, I like this one," but now I'm like, "Not sure." <laughs> no. I'm like, "No, you just, you just, you're a narcissist." You're just a narcissist. <laughs> I don't want you in here. There's a fine yeah, line toxic. between folklore and toxic <laughs> yeah. environment to live in. <laughs> um, and finally, then we've got uh, the niece, which comes from Scandinavian and Norwegian folklore. So, what we might now consider a Christmas elf. Uh, comes from the legend of the niece. And so they are hardworking and will do a lot for a little in return. So they often uh, can be cheeky and mischievous and guard farms tending to chores and taking care of animals in return only for the trust and respect of the farmer and a bowl of porridge with butter on Christmas Eve. But if you don't do these things, then they will leave and the farm will not thrive, reducing the farmer to poverty. So what I thought were really interesting in all these examples from all these different like time points and cultures is they've all got this idea that if you don't keep your home spirit happy, then you know, you're going to face misfortune. But if you do these very simple things to keep them happy, then you'll just prosper and you'll have a lovely life. And I just think it's one of the most interesting things when we talk about folklore is is where that there's all these similarities in all these different cultures and all these, like, similar creatures. Where did we all go wrong? We're still doing those things and... and Sorry, what were you going to say, Claire? So we stopped doing those things years ago and voila. That's <laughs> why we're all poor as fuck now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We all have we all have the same fundamental fears, don't we? That sort of man- manifest similarly. It's um it's crazy. Like coming from a Polish family, all of the the, the scary tales Babcha would tell you to not be naughty and things like that is so similar to yeah Japanese things. Japanese grandmas tell tell their grandchildren, yeah. and it's just so fascinating to me that you can see it across you know different mm-hmm. time points as well and and different cultures and. Like you say, I mean, you're absolutely right, Ruth. It's like the shared fear, mm. like shared fears of things and shared like things that we want to protect. So everybody wants to safeguard where they live and everybody wants that to be a safe sort of happy Especially space. Especially kids we... as well, isn't it? It's like um, they almost always come from, yeah, a mum just being absolutely done, absolutely just. <laughs> yeah. I'm sick of yeah. this. Cut your toenails. I'm sick of this. So much for the common. Cut your toes off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're sickening. You can barely get your you can barely get your shoes on. Put your toenails. You know the worst one I heard. um, My friend said that her dad used to say that when the ice when you could hear the ice cream van, it meant he'd run out of ice cream. Oh yeah. yeah. I've heard so many people who grew up with that. That's so smart. If my dad heard that, I'd be like, oh. Should have thought of that every day. <laughs> yeah, that's so Very cool. creative. No, I like it. Um, <laughs> but, well, I mean, have we got any? Um, I know you gave us some brilliant recommendations earlier, Emily, but have we, what about you, Clelia? Did you have any, any recommendations? 
Yeah, I do. I do. I've got. I've got a few. Um, a few film recommendations for people who, um, you know, if you like Barbarian, if if you want to watch, you know, uh, things that are you know, related to it or quite similar. I think my first one was Get Out by Jordan Peele, uh, which I, you know, really believe is what you know served as a blueprint for this film. Um, the People Under the Stairs for Wes Craven, 1991. Um, you know, like Barbarian, uh, the film is completely bonkers and goes into all sorts of direction that you cannot predict at the start. So. For a good laugh, I'll um, you know, rec- um, um, yeah, recommend this one. Um, re- yeah, um, another film that I would um, uh, recommend. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if I should recommend it really because uh, I watched it this morning and it's honestly, I think I'm traumatized. But I, but I heard the um, the director of Barbarian mention it in an interview. It's called Angst by Gerald Kalg from 1983, and uh, it's um, mm. a film that follows closely the. Um, I don't want to call him the protagonist of the story, but the, but the central character of the story, who's a um, uh, a serial killer. And uh, I would say the, the interesting thing about this film and the director of Barbarian was inspired to uh, by this film to, for the segment about Frank in Barbarian, uh, where you know the camera fo- you know mm-hmm. follows him closely. But this is. Uh, in kind of in direct contrast to lots of other films that I would say glamorize serial killers um, or gloss over the the horror of their crimes, um, and that's kind of like a massive slap across the face. It's as immersive as it is nauseating. Uh, so I almost don't feel right recommending it, but um, honestly, I like I said, I watched it this morning, so I feel like I need to inflect it on other people now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've, I don't think I've uh, seen I'm, it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll seek that yeah, one out. Yeah, seek it out, but I also don't blame me for it. Okay, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> and the last one um, is The Night House by David Bruckner in uh, 2020. Uh, again, about a house that hides a lot of secrets. So, yeah, those are my recommendations. Oh. But what about you, Meg? Yeah, well, and obviously, like, Get Out. I'm glad you mentioned that. I love that. I think it's brilliant. Uh, well, what a revolutionary <laughs> opinion. <laughs> I think that Get Out is brilliant. Um, I had uh, Perfect Skin from... 2018 uh, mostly because it's got Richard Brake in it and uh, Richard Brake I just love her eyes forever um, so um, please, unless I, I mean I've not heard how awful about him so I assume it's still alright to like him um, and I love Richard Brake so Perfect Skin I don't know if anyone's seen it I don't I haven't heard of it I don't know no it's it's really good I'll not get too much away but it's basically he plays a tattoo artist um, uh, who becomes I don't know how I can I actually can I even say what's about it without getting it away. I should have read the synopsis so I knew not to spoil it. But basically it's like it's this very twisted sort of dynamic between him and a woman and it's all about, you know, the body and transformation and and what does that look like sort of, you know, where there's consent and not consent and it's really, really good. I I think it's definitely right. worth a watch. Um I had Fresh. Obviously, me and Clearly love Fresh. Yeah. Um, and I think that's another really good example of you know male violence and and what that looks like in a in a modern sort of context. Um, and and again, a house that's not what it seems. And then lastly, for a house sort of a bit more of a of a standard sort of someone's the call is coming from inside the house. I had Black Christmas from 1974, yeah. which yeah. Clearly yeah. recommended to me, and I watched. <laughs> In the house by myself. <laughs> That's the worst thing and, that you could do. Yeah. 
Honestly, I was so. I still see when I close my eyes that scene where there's oh, that just that just... guy's eye through cracking. No, <laughs> honestly, it's the scariest thing. So and scary. I was messaging Clelia, and I was like, "I've got to go to the toilet. I need a wee so bad." But Loftach is like above where the bathroom door is. And I said, "I don't go to the toilet because I'm so petrified that somebody laughed." And she was like, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I love that film. But, that film. Oh, that film it's so, so scary. Really scary, I think. Like, it's one of only sort of films from that time that I can remember, like, actually shitting me up really bad to the point that I, I, I couldn't go to bed till, some, till my partner came <laughs> home because I was too scared to go upstairs. <laughs> So, yes, they are my recommendations. Also, I think for things about, you know, another film that I think is incredible just generally, but also at looking at that idea about, you know, social decay and violence of capitalism is Candyman. Both Candymans um, do that. Yeah. Um, and oh, as, as Ruth mentioned earlier, I do have a piece on The Crow coming out in the forthcoming journal where I talk about... Mm-hmm. Um, sort of Detroit as a as a villain as well as all the, the people in the film. Uh, so I would recommend The Crow as well. Also, just because it's brilliant. It if you're of my... I mean, I'm sure if you, people are of my yeah. age, they've already seen and fallen in love with Eric Draven. So I don't think it needs any introduction, but... Um, but yes, they are my recommendations. I've, I've got, I've got, um, I've got a really, really good recommendation. It's um, a Justin Long film. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the scar- scariest films I've ever seen. It's um, called Alv- Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds horrible. Watch it. That's my recommendation. It's terrifying. <laughs> so terrifying. But actually, for real, if people haven't seen Tusk. Oh, watch it. You need, you because, do need to watch it. As I said earlier, it's it's just um it's aged like fine wine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've got an excellent recommendation list for this episode. This is very exciting. Um, but I mean, do you have you got anything any final thoughts you want to you want to add? Um, I don't think so. I think we've basically covered everything. <laughs> yeah. Perfect time for yeah. my headphones to stop working as well. So oh, God. <laughs> I mean, we do have some stuff that we could plug, if that's okay. Absolutely. Go for it, yeah. So um, we've got our eighth issue of the Nottingham Horror Collective zine coming out uh, this month. I think we're saying that the release date is the 13th of October, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Um, And it has... Uh, two articles in it from Meg and Clelia. Uh, so definitely. <laughs> oh, plugging us, plugging you, plugging us. Fantastic. We love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, Meg's article is talking about the crow, as she said, and then Clelia's is on the feast, so which good. is, if you've not oh, watched brilliant. it, definitely give that a watch. Yeah. Such a good film. Mm-hmm. Um, was it 2021 mm. that it came out? 2021 yeah yeah brilliant welsh film brilliant very good um and then what else have we got on so we've got mayhem film festival which will be at uh which falls on my birthday which i'm very excited for um we've got a halloween party at liquid light on the 28th of october and then we're also doing a screening of Jew on the grudge um on original 2002 yeah um, um on the excellent. the 30th it's a halloween yeah. eve at um, half seven 
Yeah, and <laughs> again, we're going to be joined by Monstrous Flash um, for a post-screening panel discussion um, on Revenge Horror, which is going to be so fun. And I cannot can't wait. wait. Wait for that. It's going to be so much fun. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. For oh, that. thank you for coming. <laughs> no, it's been fantastic. Such a, such a pleasure. Thank you for coming. It's been brilliant to uh, see Meg change her mind multiple times about the film. <laughs> so did I, <laughs> It's been a really, really interesting conversation. Uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming. Um, I'm really looking forward to um, the new magazine coming out. And um, and yeah, and we'll see you at all the, the wonderful events that you've got, that you've got um, happening. So yeah, thank you so much, Emily and Ruth, again for joining us. Thank you. So thanks for listening to Monsters Flesh. Please join us next time for more discussion about women in horror. You can find out more about us via our website, monstrousflesh.co.uk, where you can find out more about our research for each episode, buy our wonderful merch and see our upcoming events. We'd love to hear from you as usual, so either by via our email or social media channels. And also please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and help us spread our spooky word by telling your friends about Monsters Flesh. And until next time creepy weird everyone